Heavy Cardboard, Episode 35, Food Chain Magnate. Coming to you from Davis's Diner in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. I'm Tony. Tell the folks how to contact us. All right. First off on Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email, we love getting email. Contact at heavycardboard.com. Last but not least, our BGG Guild number is 2044. We'd love to have more folks in there. So come and join the party. And thank you to the home of great games at great prices, gamesurplus.com. They're the sponsor of Heavy Cardboard. Check out their website, www.gamesurplus.com. Check out their inventory. Tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you, please. A lot of SN games are en route. Uh, pretty much most of the, the ones that you want to get, they're trying to get. So uh, send them an email and go from there. Right on. So we have a special contest coming up for our listeners. Since we know this is going to be a popular episode, considering the, uh, the featured review... Uh, we're going to make uh, folks work a bit for this one. The kind folks over at Cardboard Congregation have graciously offered up a free t-shirt of anything in their inventory, any of their t-shirts, to the winner of our contest. Uh, and they'll send it anywhere in the world. To enter, you have to visit anywhere. our site. Yeah, anywhere. Cool. Well, I, 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 you know, provided they have an address because maybe somebody's in Ar- Antarctica. So mm. hopefully, hopefully not them. To enter, visit our website, www.heavycardboard.com forward slash contest for all the info. Please, one entry per person, and uh, good luck. Have fun with it. All right, so what's been up with you there, uh, birthday boy? Yeah, uh, busy weekend. Took a four-day weekend. My birthday was Thursday, so I took Friday off. Right, because for your birthday, we celebrated it in the best way possible. Heavy two, gaming. Yeah, two-player food chain magnet. <laughs> oh, that's right. That night, man. I <laughs> uh, took, uh, took Monday off. It was the wife's birthday, so a lot of that. Halloween. It was a good, good, busy, busy weekend. Yeah, it was a good time. And the Broncos gave me a birthday present, too. That was an unexpected, Actually, uh, yeah. just throttling. They gave me another one today. They traded for Vernon Davis. I saw so, that. Yeah. Yep. I, yeah, I really didn't expect the Broncos to uh, defeat the Packers, and they did so handily. So... Undefeated feels so good. <laughs> All right, so for me, yeah. um, there was an oversight on my part uh, last episode. I should have mentioned uh, Vito Lacerda's The Gallerist on my anticipation list. So, uh, whoops, I would have had it as a 4-4 as in reference to anticipation and expected rating after playing. So, yeah, that was just a total... With, you know, however many games we had, I was bound to forget one or two, and that was the, the most blatant one. So sorry about that, Vital. Let's see, what else? Heavy con planning looks to be complete. Mm-hmm. We have locked down a place. Um, Whoa. Well, okay, we haven't signed the contract yet, but we have. Uh, <laughs> Therefore, and, we have not locked down the place. <laughs> sure, we, we have verbally agreed to uh, with them. But uh, anyway, we have... Uh, at least 70 people that have voiced interest, and we have about 40 slots. So that'll be interesting. Sorry ahead of time. Yeah. That means when you get the uh, invitation, 
RSVP immediately. And by RSVP, <laughs> he means pay. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, I got my new computer ordered, and it arrived today. It's sitting over there on my dining room table, and it's Looks like a bunch of cardboard me. boxes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's killing me that here we are recording, and I'm not building it. But hopefully you all realize my dedication and understand that you all are worth it. So there's that. So BGGCon, T-minus 15 days, 12 when you all hear this. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm still upset that you're not coming. <sighs> so uh, the Heavy Cardboard Gathering, a reminder for those coming to <clears throat> BGGCon, Thursday night, 8 p.m. to midnight. It's in room 1113. It's on the 11th floor. We got room for 50 people. I hope we run out of room. We'll have giveaways and all that stuff and a lot of gaming going on. And hopefully some uh, some folks visiting, so that'd be great. More news. Yes. Extra Life is this Saturday. So the, you know, 24 hours of gaming. We're probably not going to do 24 hours. I know. Uh, but probably 16 to 18, somewhere yeah. in that range. Um, anyway, so that's this Saturday. Uh, if you all have any money that you're willing to give for a really great cause, we'll link to it in the show notes. And we'd appreciate any donations that you all are willing to give. The money goes straight to the children's hospital, so that'd be fantastic. The Heavy Cardboard Secret Elephant gifts are starting to show up Woo-hoo. and getting posted in the, the designated geek list there. Christmas in November. Right. And there is some really, really great stuff coming through there. There's I've seen copy of Food Chain Magnate, Colon Colony, Madeira, Triumph and Tragedy, and Craftsman. Craftsman yeah. Uh, yeah, they're... Just people making fellow elephants happy. So that's uh, that's awesome to see that, that people are living up to, to kind of what we envisioned in that. So a big thanks goes to Chris for uh, running that and organizing it. So we appreciate that. Um, Should we invite him to HeavyCon? Probably. I, I, I think he probably would appreciate that. No oversights there. Yeah. Um, so the Guild, ha- uh, FYI for this episode, the Guild contributed lots of oh my God. Ask the Elephant questions. Yeah. Uh, and the guild just hit 500 members. The question is, are you one of them? If not, why not? Come interact with us and the community we're building. So, yeah, come join the guild. And it's a great way not just to interact with us, but also to get questions answered here on the show. Yeah, I felt uh, the questions for this particular episode were numerous and uh, awesome and really helped me in my direction for preparation. So yep, same here. Really appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Okay, episode 35, we're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to have our full feature for Food Chain Magnate. But full we're not, feature. Full. <laughs> but we're not going to do any uh, particular trailers of other games in this episode because we've been playing a lot of Essen games lately. And we are going to uh, just cover those a little bit in detail. There's a couple more, a couple Essen games that we're going to talk about in the next episode deeper, so we'll just lightly touch on those as well. And uh, your wife Amanda will be joining us for this discussion. Uh, yeah, when we get to the uh, what we've been playing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that should be good. Hopefully folks enjoy that. So, so as far as... What have you acquired? Uh, a lot lately, it seems. Well, yeah. This was one of those weird episodes where, you know, had that three-week gap in between. Sure. Which worked out because it got us more plays of Food Chain Magnate, right, right. which is cool. But it also, it just feels weird whenever there's this long gap. feels like we should have yeah. been recording. So first off... A couple of Martin Wallace titles, the limited edition of Mythotopia. I've heard mixed things on it, especially the end game, but hard to pass up for 20 bucks. And also got uh, the limited edition of Ships. So, and we got 
sort of that played. We played your copy, but my ships. Yeah. <laughs> the wooden ships out of it. It's really the only difference. That wooden, and the money. Wooden yeah. disc for coins and right. the ships. And, and the, the ships are cover. great, you know. So They are. The box cover, I actually like the regular edition more than I do uh, the yeah. limited edition. It's kind of weird that yeah, they it is. did that, but hey. Whatever. Uh, also got Airlines Europe. So that has replaced for kind of a entry level game mm-hmm. for for us. Got rid of Ticket to Ride, Ooh. Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born. Amanda and I really enjoyed our play, so that'll be something she and I play together. Uh, our copies of Grenland. I yes. think that's how you say it. Well, right? It's Greenland. It, it's Greenland, yeah, but, yeah, but that's the Czech some, spelling. Well, I don't maybe? know some weird Nordic spelling. Okay. Anyway, the Vladishvatel game. Yep. We haven't played it yet, but anxious. voting on resource distribution. Ding! Right. Uh, got the Sea Sammy four-player expansion for Greenland. I had Greenland. I got rid of it, and now I'm going to pick up the second edition at BGGCon. So there were very few, I guess, uh, copies of the four-player expansion from Phil Eklund. Mm-hmm. Only at Essen, and only if he had something left over would he put them up on his site. Well, he put them up on the site, and I was able to snag one. And last but not least... And forgive me, all our Polish listeners out there. Uh-oh. I've been practicing this for two days. I'm still going to butcher it. Drink some vodka. Buja Igetsko, which is, it's the four-player, the Polish four-player version of God's Playground. In my opinion, has one of the best box covers of any game in existence. And it's a grail game. It's really hard to get, especially here in the States. And I had... A Polish guy put it up for uh, auction at Essen, had a uh, Dutch guy actually pick it up for me and then mail it over to me. So that To was, an American guy. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, I My goal is to get it played in calendar year 2015. That's, that's the goal. So we'll see how that works out. But anyway, that's what I've acquired. How about you? Uh, well, let's see. Other than a couple of the titles you mentioned there, I got a copy of Canal Mania, my first Ragnar Brothers game. Uh, let's see, Diluvia Project, My Village. And um, so here's a weird thing. I owned the expansion for this game for 18 months. Hold and on. I, and I finally bought the game. Hold on. Let me see if I can. Uh, my guess is it's Magnum Soul. It is. <laughs> Speaking of Polish games. Uh, but here's a gig. I walked into my uh, LGS, and they <laughs> they, never they gets had, old, they, the had a, uh, they had a they had a clearance shelf, and it was on there for forty off. So I was like, "All right, I guess I'll get it now." Yeah, it's cracked me up seeing the uh, <laughs> the what's the name of it? The Muria Muria uh, expansion for Magnum Saw because I've heard because I played Magnum Saw. I played the base game and. It was totally forgettable. Yeah, sure. I've heard the expansion, which is extremely hard to get, right. really makes the game good. More, yeah, more uh, more dynamic, it seems, right. from reading the uh, the rules on that. I set it up the other day. But anyway, spe- with that LGS, I must say, there is, a, um, there is a lady that works there, and I cannot think of her name. Um, but you know what? When she works there, it's an FLGS. Okay. But when Krusty Old Dude works there, it's LGS. <laughs> That old 60s hippie guy takes the F out of FGS. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, let me tell you. Let me uh, roll right into what I'm hunting and anticipating. Okay. Uh, Bretagne. It's in route. Um, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig expansion is in route. Okay. That one's for the wife. Sure. She loves that game. I enjoy it. I don't think it's bad. I love the auctions in it. 
I, 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 please hurry, Lignum, Nippon, Gallerist, and Mombasa. <laughs> and, Especially uh, Lignum. Where the hell is my copy? I back the game, and yeah. all these people that just pre-ordered after the fact have gotten it. But Where is my copy? I, I'm hearing uh, that maybe some of those copies were missing pieces and stuff like that, so don't be too excited yet. And then um, here's one I th- I'm going to get. It, it's a co-op. Orléans, the invasion. Or is that would that be Invasion? <laughs> Orléans? Invasion? Well, it's got some cooperative scenarios in there, so I figured that might play that with the wife. Uh, yeah, I can't beat her at the game, so... <laughs> if you can't beat her, well join her. <laughs> freaking play with her. So. What, what about you? What are you hunting? Um, well, I don't know if it's really hunting or anticipating here. Yeah, yeah. A little well, of both. My secret elephant gift. I'm excited to see what I get. And from what I gathered... Was because my wish list is difficult to, and I, I I fully admitted that that it was going to be tough for whoever got me as a victim or target. And so my secret Santa, my secret elephant, asked, "Is there anything he he had skills as far as printing plays?" So I was like, "Huh? Well, I gave some ideas." And so he said, "Production is done now. There could be production." You know, that's what he did, mm-hmm. or production, that's what Somebody the elves else did. did. Sure. I don't know. So the I'm elves. excited, regardless. And I, I'm I don't care what it is, it's just it's just fun. You yeah. know what I mean? Very cool. Um obviously I, I I'm getting like 30, 35 games down at BGG Con. Uh a lot of them used from the virtual flea market, but also picking up a lot of pre orders. I would say, you know, probably the highest just to be able to see it is Mega Civ. I can't wait to pick okay. up my copy of that. But yeah, um <laughs> to heft up your copy. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just I'm just glad that our buddy Dave is muling all this stuff back for me in his car. So thank you, Dave. Uh let's see. I mean, Nippon, anxious to play it, you know, once we get our copy. Uh Lignum, mm-hmm. uh, Mombasa, because I missed out on that, which we're gonna talk about here in a little bit. Um yeah, just a lot of the Essen games I'm really, really excited about. And the one thing that I'm curious about, and if anybody out there listening, publisher, designer, or just anybody, knows what's up with Ting Goose from Rio Grande Games, I'd love to know. Because it's it's a ghost town in the forums there, and Rio Grande Games is MIA. So I don't know if that thing, that was one of our big anticipation mm-hmm. games. And to this date, I still have not heard anything. So that's a bit frustrating. Indeed. All right, let's talk about games we've been playing, and then let's talk about the Essen games we've been playing. Well, the only game that uh, I was privy to play that wasn't an Essen game since all this went down, since our last episode, was Tinner's Trail. And the only reason I want to take a moment to mention that is, I mean, we've covered it a lot in in some of our recent episodes. We have. But we mentioned that you had kind of been messing around with a, a variable market. Well, the external investments. Right there, yes. you go. That's yes. it. And so we decided, hey, why don't we uh, why don't we try that out and see how it goes? And I and, didn't even play in that game, right? And we did, and it was super tight, but I didn't feel like it was artificially tight. Yeah, no, not at all. I jumped out to a huge lead, um, but by the end of the game, I actually lost by like three points. But it was all of us were within two or three points of each other. Right, and it just felt like. Because of the way you know the the mining operations went, right. I felt like it it made more interesting decisions with the external investments than 
it does just as the base game because the more money you invest, the better the deal. Right. So it kind of encourages you to cough up a little more cash between rounds. Right, and that may leave you a little bit more shorthanded right. for auctions and everything cool. during the rounds. But yeah, I mean, it was one play, don't get me wrong. Right. But still, I thought it was interesting. And I'm sure people are going to ask if you'll upload that to BGG. And so maybe we can convince you to do so. Sure. Cool. All yeah. right, so... That literally is the only okay. game that's not an Essen game that I've played in the last three weeks. Oh, what about Isle of Sky? You played that with us. Was that and, not and an Metropolis? Game? Metropolis. I forgot that one. But I, Isle of Sky. I got that far before Essen. I Did you? A couple weeks before Essen, a month. I don't know. I don't know. All right. I really enjoyed Isle of Sky. Yeah, it was pretty cool for what it is. The advantage, disadvantage of going first. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool. I like the whole setting uh, behind your player screen, the mm -hmm. auction, you know, how much. Setting your price. Yeah, setting that and then deciding which of the boards you're going to get rid of. Uh, Palaces of Carrara. I haven't played that game in seven or eight months. And uh, Paul Chad said, hey, let's play Palaces of Carrara because that's something he wants to play. Man, that reminded me how splendid of a game that is. It must have made a better impression on you. I thought it was fine. But I just didn't think it stood out. So I want Paul to... Chad wants to buy two copies. Well, that's because it's Paul Chad. Because <laughs> he's a nerd. He, yeah, and he has a disease. He'll keep one and shrink forever. <laughs> if, if not, not both. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. So, um, but now, I've only played Palaces of Carrera once, but I just don't remember being that wound. So this has motivated me, hearing how excited you guys were mm -hmm. in playing it, it's motivated me to want to play it again soon so that I can, you know, I feel like I'm missing out on the fun, apparently. Let's start talking about our Essen games, then. Start us off, sir. And well, by our Essen games, you mean mostly Nicholas. Many uh, of them were. Yeah, yes. he, 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 our buddy. Uh, so let's start there. Thank you, Nicholas, yeah, for thanks. coming to Denver with a bag of Essen games. <laughs> right. That was very, very cool. Yeah, that was cool. That was enjoyable. It was a fun game day. Uh, the first thing on the list is... Ships and this list is completely random. Okay, um, not then, in any specific yeah. order. We're not, uh, you know, we're not going to talk too much about uh, ships because we're going to cover it in a little more detail, a little more depth uh, next episode. So um, for this one, I, I saw that automobile-like outer track and the map on the inside. Beautiful production. Oh my gosh, first gorgeous! Off. So so that had me intrigued. Martin Wallace is a hit or miss guy for me, you know. So. Um, I want to try it, and so got it. We've we've played one game of it so far, so right. we need to get a little bit more of that in there before we can talk deeper about it. But um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. My my initial impression was kind of favorable, so uh, I'm definitely looking forward to play it again. Sometimes Wallace games take a few a few plays to really shine, I guess. Bring right out the... before the like, oh, there it is. Right. Aha! Right. I get it now. Right. Um, first off. When you see the board, you instantly think automobile, just because it's the outer edge with all the evolution of ships mm -hmm. is very, very reminiscent, if not identical, to the same thing that automobile has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where the similarities pretty much end, though, in the game. Yeah, well, you know, ship technology moves along that track, kind of like automotive technology, but new tech in ships rusts old tech right. and penalizes you for it. So it's Boy, really, does it. But that, that is the only part that's automobile-like. Right. So I, I dug the timing in the game, uh, which actions to take, and, you know, 
making the most of those actions when you do take them, kind of building up mm-hmm. for certain actions. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. But again, it's one play, right. and it wasn't. It it didn't turn me off like uh, after the flood did after one play. Mm. So that's an encouraging sign. So let's see, Mombasa. So uh, Amanda and I played Mombasa while you played Burano, I think it was. Yeah. Right. Oh, um, poor choice. I might know. I, I I say that, but Mombasa was and Burano both were really high on my sure. to yeah. playlist. Yeah. So I'm glad I at least got Burano out of the way, so I can I can tell you guys not to get it. Go ahead. So I I don't know, Amanda, what you think, but like going into that game, I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, it, I, yeah. I, investing in companies. That interests me, right? But the rest of it, I was pretty unsure of. I, like, I want the game to be good, of course, but I kind of reserved expectation. I, I just want to play it and see what the hell this game's about. Um, but I saw deck building, stock ownership, worker placement, and territory control in the game. So what the heck can this contraption add up to? That that was my, I don't know, my questions about the game going in. So, um what what about you? Did you have any expectations, Amanda? None. I had no. I didn't. I didn't even know what it was about. Um, I just sat down <laughs> to play it. The only thing that I would say about it is that I was taught we played with Dana, Matt's wife. Yes. And as I said, oh, it's the penultimate round, and Dana was like, wait, what? I just got started. So it <laughs> it did feel like it was too short for what it was. Hmm. I'm curious. On that note, again, I was over there for the for the rules teaching, so I, I have, you know, very little knowledge of how the game actually plays, other than the actual physical mechanics sure, sure, of sure. it. Sure, well, I'm going to share some details. So I wonder, is that a a figment uh, or a a reason? I wonder if that's caused by. First game, hey, you be. weren't really efficient type thing? Yeah, it could be because the way that you play the cards, I'm sure Tony will get into that more later, but it's very, I'd never seen anything like that before. The way of how you lay the cards out and then you can only pick up one of the three decks that you have. Yeah. That your, was kind of cool. Yeah, of your played cards and stuff. Well, you know, in the game, four companies are vying for control over the different territories on kind of an abstract map of Africa. And um, they do that by placing trading posts in the different territories. And, and when they do so, the active player gets stuff. So even though I'm placing a company trading post there, I might get some diamonds or money or whatever. So Book points. Book points, right. <laughs> um, when those trading posts come off of their little storage area, it's gonna. some of them will reveal money, a little money symbol, which is really... The, the sum of the money symbols is the is the current stock value of the shares in that company. So that's kind of cool. As you take trading post off, the price of your shares goes up. And, and of course, other companies can cause your trading post to come back. And that could affect the price of your shares in a negative manner, of course, right? That hand management aspect that uh, Amanda saw was, um, and that drives all play, really, is pretty interesting and fun. Choosing which cards to play. So it's it, you choose what cards you want to play, and you pick, you lay them out, and then you execute them in whatever you know sequence you want to do, and then you discard them. But if if I have three cards played, I have three discard piles, and so the cards will go into those. One of those discard piles, I'll get back into my hand every turn. So it's kind of neat to figure out 
what card should I play into what discard pile? Because it, during the uh, rules explanation, Nicholas was mentioning how you can, you know, kind of combine if you play multiple, say, coffee cards. But the problem is you can combine them on this turn, but then you're gonna they're gonna go into different stacks, right. different di- di- different discard piles. So okay, yeah. you'll be able to maybe pull one of those back, but now you're not gonna have that right. that uh, that synergy that you had. Playing on that turn. Depending on how good you manage your discard piles, combinations are going to come and go. That that sentence right there just sounds cool and exciting. Yeah, well, managing your discard piles. <laughs> I think that's, that's this. That's this game cool. has a good hand management mechanic. I like cool. that. Um, the ownership tracks for the two company or the four companies rather is pretty darn interesting as well. Each track has twenty two spaces that you move your colored disc. And your colored disc, as it goes down that track, will that's going to represent the shares that you get. But it's not 22 shares, 22 spaces. Each of those tracks, um, the, after a certain point, you'll pass one, a, a spot where that represents that you've earned one share, two shares, three shares. And those, the number of spaces between those spots are not equidistant on that track and even on between all the different company tracks. So each company is slightly different. And each company, as you progress down that track, once your marker moves past certain spaces, you, um, I guess, inherit a special ability of that company. And um, so that's kind of cool. There's So there's differences in the companies. Yeah, the asymmetry is definitely appealing. I like that. And I, I think he said... In the collector's edition, because he had the wooden box one, which is in German only, yeah, um, came with either one or two extra companies, just one. for added one more for added variability, which I thought was well, cool. And they're double sided too. Oh, they're puzzle pieces. So each one, each there's four companies that you use, and each of them have two puzzle pieces that you put together. And then he said that there are cards in there where that you can like shuffle up and determine, like maybe. The t- A side of company one and the B side of company three is what goes together. Cool. Yeah, it's way cool. All right. Um, it's a Euro game, though. Not a stock market game at all, really. Okay. Um, there's a diamond track on your player board that um, you advance along when you and you earn victory points and eventually the ability to play a fourth card into your, into your display. Uh, there's also a book track... Think pretend accounting, and um, you advance along that, and you earn victory points as well, plus the ability to play a fifth card into your into your display. But that's just four and five stacks of discard piles that you have to manage as well, right? Bingo. Okay. There's some worker placement spots on the main board where, um, in addition to the card play, each player's got some um, assistants or workers or what have you, and uh, and there's a market mechanic for acquiring cards. Um, that the prices will uh, go down as the card stays on the board because they'll shift to the right, you know, okay. that, that right. kind of a thing. So the map play is pure Euro, and I, I felt a little gamey, actually. It um, kind of turned me off a little bit, the map play. How so? Just houses coming and going and, you know, oh, I'll just get these diamond points here. And you know. Well, competition for diamond mines, that seems to make sense. And people are, different companies are fighting yeah. for it. This company whoa, whoa, has whoa. it, this other. That's the thing. What? The company didn't get the diamond mine points. I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. All right. Um, so and the bulk of your scoring should come from those your stock holdings in those four companies. 
But that diamond track and that book track are important and cannot be ignored. You know, I scored like 35 points or something. I don't know. Out of on, how on many? the diamond track. Uh, out of 106. Because Dana yeah. beat me 107 to yeah. 106, man. And I was in like the 30s. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> 30s? <laughs> I forgot about the diamond track, okay? Wow. <laughs> in the end. Um, it's a it's an odd mix of mechanics. The game is pretty good. I only have one play. I'll, I'll buy a copy. I'll play it some more. Um, right now, I feel like my copy will leave my collection. It doesn't feel like it's that good of a game. Okay, um, but, but it's again, one I it's want to explore one, some more. It's one play, so that could change. Yeah. Could change. Didn't mean I didn't enjoy it though. Sure, I, and I'm I'm actively wanting a copy, so I, it's a matter of time. And how about you? I enjoyed it. Not the. I won't forget about the diamond track. <laughs> so, yes, on a copy, yeah. right, for yeah. us? All right, cool. So, let's see, uh, Royal Goods next on the list. Yeah, this was this was a surprising little fun game. It uh, harkens back to Orit Labora, even says so on the box. Yeah. Graphically, yes, yes, it does, it does. I was hoping for Thinky Filler, and I think I, I kind of got that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, it. Falls in line with that uh, arboretum um, mm-hmm. impulse kind of mm-hmm. kind of range of games. You know, the point of the games to build production buildings, production chains rather, with your buildings, chains of more and more valuable goods, um, so that you can build more and more valuable buildings. Because eight buildings will end the game. Of Trigger course. the end of the game. Yeah, right. one more round after that. Um, there's a central pool of resources that all the players can um, apply to their different buildings. So that's kind of cool to get the, the production going. Uh, you only have one worker when you start the game. So as you acquire more buildings, you probably want to think about acquiring more workers to staff those buildings. Do more coke so I can work more hours, so I can make more money, so I can do more coke. And, hell yeah, yeah, that type hell thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, the buildings have two inputs, most of them anyway. That You know... The left side is raw materials in, and the right side is often raw materials, but sometimes it's manufactured goods that go in, but the right side is a more efficient. Exactly, but you can't trigger that right side unless you've started off triggering it with that left side, which easier said than done. So here's just a small example of a production chain. The sawmill takes three wool and one clay to make lumber, and lumber's worth two gold. I do not know why wool and clay make lumber. <laughs> uh, maybe you kit out the lumberjacks with that stuff. Or so hold on, hold on. It's it's wood and clay to make lumber. Wool, no, wool, and wool, clay. sheep hair. Right. Yeah, I understand. So, wool. Yeah. I, okay. Did I, did I not say wool? But you said wood. You said no. Wood. Okay. Wool. It, it's clothing for the employees. Right. And the clay. I got nothing. It's the right. bowl in which they eat their porridge. <laughs> It depends so, yeah. on the type of card, though, because there's multiple sawmills. Some take wool. Yeah, and right. Some right. Don't. Each building takes a slightly yes. different. Okay. She's yeah. absolutely right. Okay. So this particular sawmill, three wool, one clay makes a lumber. Lumber's worth two bucks. The sawmill on the more efficient side can also take one wood to make one lumber. That's much more efficient. One resource rather than four. And thematically accurate. It, exactly. <laughs> so then maybe I also have the cooperage, which takes two grain and three clay to make barrels. Don't ask. Barrels are worth five bucks. Now the more efficient side of the cooperage, 
also can take one lumber, i.e. produced by the sawmill, to make one barrel. So obviously that makes more efficient use of all of all your buildings. But the key here is you have to man those buildings to be able to right. to generate those things. Plus you have to have the resources to have the inputs to begin with yeah. and that's all on a day night cycle. It's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. cool little thing. So Nils, our friend in Germany, is sending us both copies of the new version. Thanks, Nils. He's got some extra cards, which is really, really cool. Um, I think, tell me what you guys think. I think it's a terrific little game. It's uh, I do like production chains, and that's kind of why I'm uh, pre predestined towards liking that. It's short playing, which is a must for a random kind of thing like this. Um, I don't think it's going to top games like Arboretum and P. Malflaumann, but it's right behind them, and it will... Uh, solve, uh, scratch that itch when I want a production chain game. I'll agree with you uh, about probably not catching something like uh, Arboretum, but I would say it's on par with that other game that you mentioned, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. If for no other reason than Royal Goods plays two-player, whereas P. Malflaumann only plays three or more. So okay. there's that. So how about you? You said you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really it, enjoyed right? it. I like the art of it. Art on it, I liked... Clemens Franz. Yeah. Um, I just, I like games where I can make a chain of stuff. Chain, yeah. chain, <laughs> chain. That and you're big on tableau builders yeah. anyways. Yeah, yeah. And cards in general. Just, it was fun. I liked it. Cool. Small footprint as far as like the actual game because yeah. it came in a Ziploc bag. But once you sleeve the cards, yeah. Not so much, huh? No, no the, the game comes in a box. Well... Once you sleeve the cards, it comes in a Ziploc bag. Oh, gotcha. Okay, got it the other way. Although right. I saw a really killer box that somebody made, Travis or Brian or somebody, on Twitter. So i got to do that. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk about My Village next. All right, let's. Or your village. Meindorf. <laughs> <laughs> not, not your dorf. Not our dorf. Mine. Meindorf. <laughs> Um, mini review, so not not talk too much about it. Yeah, mini review coming next week, right? Or next episode. Marcus and Inca brand dice drafting village themed game. For me, the the thing that impressed me is it totally feels like village, but it's a completely different game. It, yep. If you have your own village this time, yeah, it's just it. It's impressive to me to have taken one theme. And make two completely different games that feel similar, but are are apples and giraffes mm -hmm. as far as mm -hmm. the actual gameplay. And I thought that was really impressive. I really enjoyed this game. This is the weight of game where dice mechanics are um, okay. Yeah, they're welcome. <laughs> right, they're, they're, they're welcome. totally fine. Yeah. yeah, and there are some there are some dice mitigation mechanics in the game that are pretty neat and everything. I think it's, uh, for the weight, I think it's very well done. I don't feel like this is a dice game version of Village. I feel like it's the same weight of Village, but they just made a new game using dice. But I don't feel, because to me, when I think dice mm. version of a game, yeah. I think it's not down, Village the dice game. No, it, and that's what I'm right. saying. It's it's a legitimate, like, medium, light medium game that is its own animal um so yeah definitely not village the yeah. dice game right uh let's see the component quality is pretty awesome in there those those square cards are 
They're like they're a, not the, cards. They're tiles. They're a cross between tiles and cards. They're yeah, not as thick as a tile, but they're so thick. They are. They're rocking. They're like ivory core. Pegasus did a good job. Yeah, re- that was nice. Um, Robin's undefeated, so I'm gonna have to sell the game. <laughs> No, that's what I was going to say. I was like, I played it with you and Robin, and because Robin played, Tony and I got slaughtered. <laughs> um, so who won between you two? Because if Robin... Tony. Okay, so Robin yeah. Robin was a foregone. So really, you can claim that as a victory. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that's good. So Tasty Minstrel hasn't really spoken no, up on they, Twitter. They, from yeah. what I've heard, they are not going to publish this? Right now, there's no U.S. distribution, and, and uh, Pegasus is working on it. But you said uh, I blame you, got, lawyers. you got your copy for what? 55 US shipped? 55 USD shipped from Amazon DE. Okay. And, and Amazon's really starting to kick butt on international shipping. The game was here in like eight days. Cool. All right. So that's an option if, if people don't want to wait, right? Plus, you know what? Marcus and Inca are expansion freaks. My village port. port my village <laughs> in. Yeah, I'm sure it's coming. I have no doubt. So steamrollers. Yeah, um so this was a under the radar little, you know, very tiny print run of a train themed dice game. Right. That I had heard about and I was like, huh, kind of fillerish and train theme. Sure, I'll yeah. take a stab at it. So I got a copy and um our our buddy Andrew from uh Spiel Pro, uh he went to Essen. And picked up my copy. I'm going to pick it up at BGGCon. Cool. So with that said, I was not a part of the Steamrollers game because I was like, eh, I'd rather try other games that I know I'm not going to necessarily yeah. buy. So I, I got nothing on this. So Well, you know, the, the thing for me was I needed a one-hour game because I was heading out right. to do uh, dinner with the mother-in-law. Right. So um, this was suggested, and my first thought was Dyson Trains, Oil and Water, <laughs> Um but it's a short playing game. Nicholas wanted to play was, and was ready to teach it. And uh, ends up being, a, like Village, a, a fine weight for dice. Okay. All right. Um, what's cool is players have an individual map in the game that you're going to draw your train routes on with a pen. And um, there's but not a, a crayon because this is not a crayon This is not rails. a crayon rail game. Okay. All right. In the center of the board, you place an identical map, though. And that's going to have colored cubes on it that represent the goods. So think like Steam and Age of Steam, how goods go to the different colored cities. Right. Kind of the same thing where a purple cube will go to the the city in the purple land. Dice get rolled. You select the dice you want to use on that turn. Uh, You can draw a track depending on what die roll. So if it's a one or two, I can draw a curved track. If it's a three or four, I can draw a straight track. It's that kind of a thing. Uh, plus, if I didn't want to draw a track with the dice, I could maybe move freight or do some other things, like uh, select a one-time or a semi-permanent special power. I say semi-permanent because it's mine until someone else takes it. Okay. So that that was kind of cool. Drawing the tracks was a blast, actually, man. Um, and everybody doing their own map was a little weird because I'm used to, um, what do you call it, the synergy and other everybody's networks, like in an 18xx right, game, you right. know? So that was a little bit weird, but it was really kind of cool to know that I'm drawing my rails over here, Chad's drawing his rails over there, etc. Very intricate, you know, rail drawing, I'm sure, I have oh, no doubt. Yes, scribbled lines. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have drawn nice, nice little tracks, though. Uh, your train size matters, too, so sea size does matter, even in a, a game like this. 
uh, it determines how many cities your trains can run through. And uh, that's important for carrying the freight because the more cities your freight hits, the more points you're going to score. And, um, and the scoring was cool too because of that. Plus, you add up the connections in your network. So overall, um, I thought it was fine. I'm glad I played. I'll play again. Not going to get a copy. No. Especially since I'm getting one. Right, right. right. Okay. You know, this will be another game that will fit like that little window of time when we need to fill it up. You know, it's funny. Somebody later on in this episode asked, you know, hey, if you have 30 minutes, that type of thing. Mm, maybe two player. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. What about you? Does that sound interesting to you? I'd try it. Sure. Okay. I, I like dice and I like trains. And I like I... playing games. Yay! <laughs> I like trains. <laughs> All right. So, what's next? Uh, Pie Mal Flaumen, which is apparently Pie Times Plums. Which is actually, uh, from what I've understood, its rule of thumb is, is kind of how it, it's meant. Hmm. Um, but with the plums, Weird. it's it's kind of a play on that. It's it, it's rule, rule of plums. plums. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, in spite Matthias Kramer's name, because I do like some of his titles, I thought this was yet another trick taking card game. I and I'm tired of those. Okay, I disagree that it's a a, a trick taking game. You did not hear what I said. Okay, what I said that <laughs> I thought. Oh, I thought but my okay. first impression was this is another trick-taking Oh, game. so you were kind of, eh. Pay attention here, man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm focused over on my computer part. Yeah, though. yes. <laughs> Salivating. I see a screwdriver on the table. Yeah, right. Um, but Nicholas brought a copy from Essen and taught us the game. And he, on the way here, I picked him up at his hotel, he sold me on the idea by describing it as an auction drafting trick-taking game. Okay, sir, let's try. <laughs> auction drafting set collection. Trick-taking game. There you go. There you go. Right. Okay. The auction part is basically you're bidding for turn order. Right. You're playing a card from your hand. Oh, 17. Amanda plays an 11, right? So and I play a 4. 17 right. going to go first, 11 second, and 4 Third. In that turn order, we're going to draft those cards into our set collection, like you mentioned. Into our tab or into our tableau for set collection. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And um, some of those cards will have a little special iconography on them that might allow us to steal a card from another player or score some points for a particular set that's being collected. Or play the dog, play which the is dog. protect your, your uh, tableau from anyone stealing a card, as well as... Playing or uh, some of these cards have the ability to score on them based on the set collection that they call out. Did you like this game? I was asleep because I had a migraine. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, she didn't get a I chance didn't get to, to play. play it. Oh, I played it once. Uh, Nicholas taught it. Uh, we played it four player. It was you, me, maybe Paul Chad and Nicholas. Oh yeah, and it then, was Paul Chad. And then you guys wanted to play something, and so uh, with Dana and. Matt, I went and taught them how to play this, and I played it back-to-back times. One thing we haven't mentioned is if this doesn't win some sort of award for the most beautiful artwork in a game in 2015, I'd like to see what does, because this is absolutely just stunning Mm -hmm. artwork, gorgeous artwork. Dennis Lohausen topped himself three times. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I I felt like I was looking at Audubon sketches of, of... Fruit. I mean, it was like, like oh, so detailed. I, hungry. Delicious. Exactly. Everybody gets hungry playing this. Um, I really enjoyed this game. I, I'll be honest, 
I hadn't heard of it. I, I knew nothing about it prior to playing mm-hmm. it. And as soon as we played it, I was like, so where do we get a copy? Just like what happened with Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Game Surplus is going to try to get some in. Yes, they are. And we also have Nils. Thanks, Nils, again. <laughs> it's good to have friends overseas. You know what sucks, though? Is when all your publisher friends are overseas as well. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. That's frustrating. So the Deluvia project rolling into uh, Spielworks. This is one of two Spielworks titles that have come out uh, this year. This and Haithabu. Uh, we are fortunate enough to have gotten an early copy of Deluvia project. Because our review copy is somewhere in transit between here and Germany. It's on a boat. Germany and here. Hopefully. On a plane. It. Something. This is another game I was unsure about what to expect with. Um, it looked pretty standard worker placement resource conversion. Uh, what what would make this game stand out? Those are my questions going in. And I'll be honest. I had reservations about the game as well. Uh, it's Spielwork, so I'm... I'm Automatically willing to give it a shot, no matter what comes out news-wise, good, bad, or otherwise. In Uli we trust. Yes, exactly. Um, the funny thing is Deluvia Project, I guess uh, Deluvia means under the water. And that was the original theme, I believe, or something to do with under the water. And okay. they changed it to I, Sky City. I know about City. the theme, yeah. Yeah, they changed it to the Sky City. And so the name doesn't quite match anymore, but that, that's neither here nor there. Well, you know, it is a Sky City. So in order to build buildings, float buildings, you must buy land? Clouds. Clouds? Clouds? <laughs> airspace? I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Let's but, skip uh, yeah. theme here, all right? Um, yeah, you know, you're... You're buying squares on the board in which to place square tiles that are buildings using the resources you have collected through your worker placement. Stop me if you've heard this before. Yeah, there's nothing exceptionally different about this game, I didn't feel like. Um, Well, I I do think there's a couple of neat mechanics wrapped around that standard worker placement stuff. Agreed. I'm going to be... That's kind of a bait and switch for our next episode because uh, we'll talk about... Those neat mechanics uh, when we when we discuss this game a, a little deeper, but yeah, the underwater theme should have been kept. <laughs> I could just I'm seeing those propellers and I'm just thinking like oxygen supply and you can buy land there, you know it's not buying an airspace or whatever anyway. <laughs> Inuli, I mainly trust. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next two games I have not played. Antarctica is the first one. Did. Both of you guys played that yeah, game? Yeah, we both did. Right. Um, winner of the weirdest game I've played from Essen hmm. is Antarctica thus far. <clears throat> um, so I've worked for a week and a half now on how to describe it, and I still don't know how to describe this game. Uh, it looks really wicked on the table, I feel like. Very because, colorful. Because there are three different types of buildings that you can build. There are cardboard ones that lay flat on the board. Then there's custom wooden buildings. Custom wooden pieces uh, represent different buildings. Uh, in my opinion, look like animals on a lot of them, but wh- whatever. Uh, and then there are cardboard 3D stand-up buildings, which are real cool as well. Huh. Yet, the only reason for them to be those different materials and everything 
that we could ascertain was just to make it look cool on the table. A wow. building is a building is a building. It did not matter if it what was it was. One D or three D. No, it had it uh, had no no thing. Were there penguins? There was one that looked like the head of an eagle. Yeah. But no penguins. <laughs> huh. Amanda must have been disappointed. Right. She uh, was. So the game, it was repetitive. You're kind of going around circles on the board, uh, selecting action. It had this cool sun mechanism to where wherever the sun was, that region was the active region. And it was only active for the first player because there's spots for three different ships, which are, you know, kind of your, your workers, if you will. And the first ship in each region, unless somebody has a rule breaker, is the only one that can then take an action. And so what they do is they, they take their ship physically from that region and can place it in any other region on the board and then act, do something in that region that they just placed this ship. Well, when they place it there, odds are they're going to place it in second or third place in that region so that the sun is going to have to come around the board two or three times for them to be able to act, get that action again. Hmm. So it's just... It's just a weird ass game. That said, I really kind of enjoyed it, hmm. and I don't really know why it was okay. repetitive. <laughs> um, you're just kind of doing the same thing, going around the board. It had really hmm. strange scoring, but yeah, I kind of dug it. Um, like, I would probably call it a four on a one to six scale. Okay. Yet I couldn't really give you a good reason why. Again, one one play. Now I. I'm pretty sure Amanda will disagree with me on this one. Yes. <laughs> oh, did we it, not like it? We did not like it. I thought it was dumb. I thought that the the best part about it was the 3D standees. And us talking about that that would look like an eagle's head or that looked like a windmill or of the wooden pieces. I did not. The bunny ears. The bunny ears, that's what it was. I did not like it. I thought it, it was, there's many, many more things in, with my time I would rather do. Wow, you yeah. actively disliked yeah. it, including having a migraine. Yes, actually. Oh, oh come on now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that'd be how I'd feel about it. Just what I've heard. It just—it was just weird. No I'm—I'm I'm curious to get other people's take on this because obviously, I mean, but then again, you guys don't like Reef Encounter, and I love Reef Encounter, so your taste is can be a little, you know. Or, or our taste is the good one, and yours is wrong. No, 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 no. Reefer counter? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the Washington State and Colorado version of the game. <laughs> so anyway, that's Antarctica. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, the one tar, Tiffany, she said, yeah, that skipped this game. So she was not a fan mm-hmm. either. I wasn't, ooh, ooh, I'm not clamoring for another game of it. But at the same time, somebody pulled it out. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to try and be able to quantify what it is about it that I enjoy. So I'm curious to see if anybody else out there has played this and what your thoughts are on that. So uh, keep going, Burano. All right. So Burano came out of nowhere. I first heard about this game in March and I looked at it and I was like, eh, whatever. And then as we got closer and closer to Essen, the buzz around it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it just looked cool, the 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 cube pyramid mm-hmm. and and all that, and it sold out apparently quick as all get out at Essen. So I was like, well, nobody that I know of has uh, picked up U.S. publishing rights yet. Um, I know Velma over at Game Surplus is 
talking to them. And they're like, hey, we'll be happy to send you a thousand copies, you know, for a good price. <laughs> How about for a dollar each? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so bottom line is it, it had some really interesting stuff, but it felt like it was really rough around the edges. Like it was under, underdeveloped. Um, I have no desire to play this again. I'm glad I played it this one time. But to be honest with you... Very much try before you buy. You know how we like to promote, hey, you know, you can rent the game, right. et cetera, et cetera, for games that you're going to take a risk this on. This is an expensive rental. This would be, and it's one that I would recommend not mm-hmm. renting. Uh, just try, it just, I'm curious what the designers do with their next design. This one just felt a little, needs to go back in the oven. Just too many. Hmm. Too many influences from Trajan and Macau and all, just... I like this. Let's use it. I like this. Let's use it. Yeah, and you and I really enjoy this a lot of the time. You know, just a, a good meshing of mechanics. Mm. This just felt bolt-on after bolt-on after bolt-on mechanic and just for no rhyme or reason. And it just did not work for me. Cool. I, uh, I'll i skip it to the... All right. It was low on my list to play. It was really high on hearing mine. this report. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said. I I recommend if you get a chance to try it, try it. But don't go out of your way to to for an outlay of money to try it. Um, yeah, that was so far the biggest disappointment of Essen for me so far has been Burano. The time has come for us to talk about our number one most anticipated game. For the latter half of 2015, Splatter Spellings, Food Chain Magnate. Take it away. T. Yoris and Yeroon have created another heavy game for us fanatics of such games. The artist of Food Chain Magnate, actually there's two artists, artists are Inza Moat and Iris Dehan. Splatter Spellings publisher, as you mentioned, it's a two to five player game released just this year at Essen. It's about 45 minutes per player. That's what I've kind of jotted down there. Availability and cost-wise, well, I guess there's another print run coming. You can uh, you can kind of backorder it at Splatter Spellin's site for about 82 bucks U.S. dollars currently, plus, plus freight, of course. Right. So you're looking at uh, about 110 shipped here in the states. All right. Let's talk about what's going on in Food Chain Magnate. As always, we're talking about the game flavor. See what I did there. Uh, not a rules explanation. So this is a logistics game with elements of hand management, wait, tech tree, simultaneous hidden action programming, special abilities, and spatial processing on a central board. Wait, splatter and logistics? Get out. Actually, uh, splatter is the Dutch word for delivery. Okay. Yes. uh, (laughs) The board is a randomly constructed set of tiles that depicts roadways, houses, and drink vendors. The roadways on those tiles create a network of routes that create individual, I'm calling them, neighborhoods. It often ends up that the board is going to make, you know, one, two, three distinct neighborhoods where the roads do not connect to one another. The initial turn order is drafted, and then the players select a location to establish their initial restaurant. Each player begins the game with a single employee, the CEO. This employee has the ability to hire one new employee per turn, 
and can manage up to three other employees per turn. Employees in the game are represented by cards, and as you hire employees, you can train them for advancement and skills. You build your hand of cards thusly. An important role to hire, obviously, is a trainer, um, so that entry-level employees can become more efficient and provide new capabilities for your business. On each turn, you're going to select a number of employees to work in your enterprise. The remainder are at the beach. Worst place to be. Mm. There are worse places to be. There are. Some of the employees that you hire are going to be in management, and they can in, and they can themselves manage a number of other workers. So, by hiring managers, you can increase the number of employees that can work in your enterprise from turn to turn. Kind of an important concept. So, each turn, the players are going to secretly select the employees that are going to work that turn. For example, if I have only my CEO as a manager, as I've mentioned, I can select up to three other employees to work that turn. If I select less than the number of employees possible, each empty position applies to the resetting of the turn order for the turn. The player with the most empty positions will be the first player to select their turn order position. And there are benefits, of course, to being first, benefits to being last. just depends on where you are in the game and what's going on. On your turn, you're going to execute the abilities of each and every employee that you selected. There's no choice of not executing. They're working than they're doing. During the course of the turn, in addition to adding more employee cards to your deck, the players can do things like train up existing employees, uh, market food and drink items to the various houses on the boards. There are pizza, burgers, Coke, beer, and orange juice, but we call it lemonade. It looks like lemonade and it's yellow. Another thing you can do is place new houses on the board to increase demand, added demand. And you can also add gardens to existing houses because these rich people, they're going to pay you more for their food products. You can also open new restaurants. You can even, and I think this is kind of cool, move restaurants. So, hey, this location's not working so good. We're going to move over to Uptown. That's right. So when all the players have executed their employees' actions, the houses are going to seek the restaurants that can meet their demands in full. So That being the key, in full. Yes. If a house wants a burger a Coke and two beers, then you have to have all of that to be eligible to possibly provide them. Also, a house is looking for the best economics of both location and price. So if your restaurant's further away, then you're probably going to have to offer a better price than your competitors. Having waitresses, and therefore good service, is an important tiebreaker when luring customers. Which makes total thematic sense. Indeed. When you sell products to a house, you collect money. And primarily, this money is going to accumulate and represents victory points. But from time to time, you are going to spend money on employee salaries. If you've got a big staff, you might spend a lot of money. Here's a twist for you, though. The houses are all numbered, and they're executed in that sequential order. So, it's possible that you may end up selling things to houses that you did not expect to do so. Nor want to do, um, but you right. don't have a choice. <laughs> that, right, because then you could end up short for houses that you did expect to sell to. Planning and paying attention can help you avoid such embarrassing moments, however. Uh, as does game and game and game of experience, and you'll still make those mistakes. But I digress. Continue, yeah. sir. Salaries are then paid to all of your employees, even those that did not work this turn. Paid vacations, baby. PTO. 
not all employees are going to require a salary. That's just a game mechanic. Your, your entry-level employees are free. And from then, other higher-level employees are going to cost money. Interns, there you go. You can fire any employees you don't wish to pay or mm, can't pay. Paul Chad. Lastly, the marketing campaigns that are ongoing will reset the demand in each applicable house for the next turn. This is also an interesting mechanic as the marketing campaigns are numbered and executed in order as well. As more advanced forms of marketing make their presence, so there's billboards, mailing campaigns, airplane banners, and radio ads, the demands of the houses will change. And there's going to be houses that no longer want your pizza because they heard that cool new ad for a burger. The game's going to end when the bank breaks, but it's played over the course of two banking rounds. At the beginning of the game, the initial bank is set at 50 bucks a player. Also, each player is going to secretly select a card that indicates the amount of money that should be put into the second bank. That's $100, $200, or $300. Your selection should be made based on if you will be pursuing a longer or shorter strategy. If you think you're going to be needing more time, you better select the $300 card. When the initial bank is broken, these cards are revealed and the second bank is established. So, in a three-player game, if the initial bank is 150 bucks, 50 bucks per player, right. right? If two players secretly selected the $200 card and one player did the $300 card, the second bank 700 bucks. When that second bank is broken, that round's going to end the game. One last thing: during the game, you can earn milestones if you are the first player to do certain things. It's certainly possible for multiple players to earn the same milestone in a given turn. And the milestones that you earn will give you special advantages in the game. For example, maybe you get an extra cash bonus when you sell um, a particular food item. Or you have the ability to store unsold food and, and little things like that. Pretty important stuff. The player with the most money at the end of the game wins. All right, let's review the scalability to start with, I will say that I played four games, uh, one two-player game, and the rest were four-player games. All right. And for me, I have six plays thus far, and I played it that once uh, two-player. The rest have been three- and four-player. However, I did kind of GM or moderate and kind of run through a five-player game. Cool. Uh, so while I wasn't actively playing in it, I got a good enough feel for the five-player game. Scalability, sir. I think it's fantastic. I genuinely thought I disliked the two-player game and ended up loving it. Yeah. I would happily play this across the entire spectrum of player counts, two to five, and have no reservation whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I have not played five, nor have I played three. I'm very interested to play both. Uh, I have a feeling that four is going to be the reward for good play versus chaos penalty sweet spot, but uh, not opposed to playing it at, at any count. See, and the two-player game had a bit of a uh, zero-sum. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the cardboard. This uh, this 50s art style. What's up with that? You yeah, like I, that? I dig it. Yeah, I, yeah. I like it. Um, the... The components, you know, they have that 50s retro theme and feel to it. Uh, the map tiles, I gotta say, are a bit uh, utilitarian. Well, well, somebody asked on Twitter when uh -huh. we tweeted a picture if this if this was a pre-production version. Right, of the game right. Because of those tiles. But 
I think it actually helps the gameplay in the same manner that 18xx maps are plain. I, it, I totally the get the map that. doesn't get in your way. Right, and I I completely understand that. And with uh, both Yarun and Yoris being big 18xx fans, I, I get where they right. came from with that. Uh, there, like you said, some people said it looks like a prototype, and they'd never spend a hundred dollars on a game like that. C'est la vie. Yeah, that's, uh, the your food, loss. The food bits, the wooden uh, components, yeah. are fantastic. Um, yeah, it's just it, the all the chits, all the marketing tiles, and everything are thick cardboard. Very, very happy with that. The cards, I do wish were linen finished. That's that's kind of my. You have a fetish. I, I do. Um, yeah, so I'm, what about uh, the thematic match to the components? Like that, the player aid that shows the employee stuff is shaped like a menu. It's fantastic. They, <laughs> it's really they cool. did really well yeah. on that respect. Where they didn't do so well is the paper money. It's paper yeah. money. No, no, just, nah, but in this case, you're not really spending it. You're accumulating. It. Yeah, I get that. But, but we play with poker chips. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. There is one bit of graphic design that I'd like to point out. The box says 100% dice-free. I think the graphic design's quite good. Uh, there are some uh, minor mistakes. The the lack of infinity symbols on some of the marketing tiles. Uh, the executive vice president says uh, it has six people underneath them when it's really ten. Uh, even with those, I give the game uh, high marks. It's easy to understand and follow along uh, with that great menu, i.e. player mm. aid. However, the biggest omission in the game was the non-inclusion of a milestone reference sheet or player aid or on the player aid. Right. I've seen a couple of great fixes for that on BGG, but it should have been caught and addressed prior to going to the printer. So that was that kind of pissed me off. That was a big disappointment because our first game. We had to keep referencing back yeah. to the book, and it's with... on the German menu. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I, I saw that uh, Chatty Boy from BGG. Uh, they made a sticker that you can place on the back of your menu. Cool. To that that has that. So there are fixes, but other than that, I think the graphic design overall quite quite well done. What about the rule book? Outside of a couple instances of switching terms when talking about the same things, I thought it was laid out exceptionally well and easy to follow. Uh, pretty much everything you need is is well laid out in the in the rule book, but unfortunately, there are some clarifications that definitely were needed uh, uh, for some rules. Yarun has been hyper vigilant on BGG addressing questions, and they plan on including more clarifications in the third printing, which is due out uh, in December. So there's that. So overall, I was pleased with the rule book. You can play the game just from reading the rules, which, as dumb as that sound, kind of novel. Because some games you are you really got to fight through. And I didn't feel like we had to do that at all with this. All right, Tony. So tell me, and tell our listeners, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. What makes this game blank? Heavy. I totally agree. So start off with complexity. Kick it. Let's see. The rules are simple, I think. Uh, there's, I don't really feel there's a lot of complexity in the rules themselves. Um, there's, a, there's a weird thing that seems kind of counterintuitive in the rules that you can only train employees when they're not working. <laughs> so uh, you got to just make sure that's understood. But um, other than that, I really don't feel like there's rules to trip up people or easily spaced out. 
The best way I can explain it, I think, is to compare it to Demacher. In that it's very procedural with each step clearly laid out. And no step in and of itself is difficult mechanically whatsoever. Dare I say, the, the game's relatively simple from a rules standpoint. I feel like the game is the epitome of you'll have to see it in action, then it'll make sense. It becomes intuitive uh, as you go. But it's easy to rush through steps, even when you know the game. Easy to skip things this way. Suggest just slow down and follow through the steps. Procedural as it might be, it makes the game flow better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing, uh, kind of an easy thing to overlook is is when to pay waitresses. Because it's not laid out on the player aid. Right. Cool. So, uh, planning? Yeah. Uh, and now we have come to the point in the show where we explain where Food Chain Magnet gets its weight from. And that's the planning. Uh, every single decision in this game carries with it weight and a butterfly effect and implications down the road. There is no decision, I feel like, in this game... That is just a, oh, I'll do this. And it has no ramifications the rest of the game. So I think that the planning involves a mix of strategic and tactical play in this game? I would agree with that. Like overall, do you have a strategy? So am I playing the long game and need a powerful organization? Um, That's going to score me a lot of points at the end. So I better make sure the game lasts a little longer. Um, To this end... Part of the planning for that is what employees do I need? What when do I need them the most? And the that, training. Be, that being key, the when, not just right. who, when, but when. In, in this game, your your strategy is not I'm going to sell burgers and cokes. Right. Your there is no strategic path through the game based on products. You don't choose products and a path um, and go down that. Players don't choose different products as their paths and go down them separately. Your strategy is really an analysis of the layout of the board, which is unique for each play. And then you determine, you know, determine what neighborhoods exist, etc. What would be good marketing opportunities that could help me and hinder opponents? You know, like what, how are the blocks formed? Um, what are good restaurant locations? Where are the drink vendors and what's the access to them? So what you're saying is a lot like what a business owner would, would take Dude, into consideration. Yeah. Your strategy is to win a business battle. By deciding what tactics work best on this board. That's my opinion. Again, um, you don't approach the game thinking, next time I'm going to try the Coke and Burger strategy. So like to relate that to other games, Zulkin and the Temple strategy, Village and the Traveler strategy, those notions don't exist in this game. Completely 100% agree. Tactically, other players are doing things on every turn to better their position and to damage my position and your position, right? As you would expect in any game. But here's where I see the tactics <laughs> um, kind of relating to me. And remember, miniature wargamer here. So uh, the board's a battlefield, a business battlefield. Uh, there are roads, but instead of hills, wood, woods, and stone walls, we got neighborhoods, houses, drink vendors, varying access points. The tactics on the board are not unlike the tactics on a battlefield. Let me deploy this brigade here. No, let me market burgers to the houses on this block with a mail campaign. Uh, only I am selling. Only I am selling burgers at this point, so that makes some sense for me. Hey, let me build a new restaurant here. They say business does parallel warfare, and Sun Tzu's art of war has been applied to business practices. 
So uh, that's where, that's where I see the planning. It's a mix of tactical and strategic elements like that. I I had other stuff written down. I got to be honest, but yeah, that summed it up pretty well. What about well? What do you think about luck and random factors? There is no luck in the game, but it's not a perfect information game. During the restructuring phase, you mm-hmm. don't know what the corporate structure each player is planning on laying out each turn because that's all done in secret right. by choosing the cards, you know, from the from all the cards that they've acquired throughout the game. Good call. Not perfect information. Right. As you get more experienced, obviously you can make educated guesses, but you're still never 100% sure. So, zero luck outside of initial turn order and right. zero random, but well, not perfect information. Well, the, the layout of the board's supposed to be random, but... Uh, okay, I was going to hit on this do later, it, do but it. we'll go ahead and touch on this now. So we experimented with something in our two-player two player game. game. So a two-player game, the board is set up in a three-by-three three grid. So what we decided is we just randomly selected one tile to place down. So now there's going to be a total of eight other tiles. We each randomly selected five tiles each, and then, like a draft, we placed one and we had to say it was, uh, we said it was orthogonally adjacent. And we kind of drafted our own, you know, custom board yeah. that half you wanted, half I wanted. And of the five tiles that we each got, we placed four. So one of them we wouldn't choose. And it, it just added another kind of layer to it. We, we built it in a way that had four distinct neighborhoods, too, because we had never had that before. So Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I should have said that. The initial turn order and the initial layout of the board. Right. Or you could try our little variant, whatever, and cool. make it not random. But outside of that, zero luck. And outside of that, zero random, but not perfect information. That said, I do think this contributes to the weight of the game, the heaviness, the fact that there is no luck and no random. I Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. I'm thinking that the... The random that there is in the board layout contributes to it as well because every layout is going to be different. And it forces you to analyze right. every... It's not like, I'm going to put a building there next game. No, no. That um, neighborhood doesn't exist next take game. Take <laughs> an 18xx game, almost exclusively they're static maps. And right. this company will start on this tile every time, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this added variability here forces you... To reanalyze and just make your your plans based on how the board is laid out every game. I I think that's only a plus as far as adding to the weight. So do you think the game length is a factor? I don't. I, I feel like it's it's the right amount of time for what it tries to do and just doesn't add to the weight of the game. Do you? No. 45 not... minutes a player to me is is not a long game. No. So, um, how long does it take a person to get it in your estimation? I don't know the answer <laughs> yeah. to this. I'm six plays in and still getting caught with my proverbial pants down on occasion, more than on occasion. Uh, that said, I'd say a couple, a couple of plays minimum. Again, getting it mechanically isn't the problem. But having a clue how to play well... You're going to need a Snickers bar because you're going to be here a while. <laughs> and it's it's only a, another great thing about the game. I, I think this has, to play well, an, an incredibly high learning curve. 
not to play it and to have the rules right, get right. out of the way, but it's extremely long in a good way. I think a full game will serve just to open your eyes to what may be, and I will warn you that you could possibly become obsessed with thinking about those possibilities. Okay, as regular listeners would know, this is where we're going to start talking about the things we like about the game, but we're going to deviate a tad in this episode because there were some really cool questions in the guild, and what we wanted to do was just uh, tee a couple of those up for some specific discussions. So, let's get started. Edward, I'll, I'll lead to you, sir. All right. Is this a business game or an economic game? The term economic being somewhat liberally used was the comment. The game is clearly not an economic game. It's a business game. This is no more an economic game than something like For Sale is. Just because it has money in it does not equate to being an economic game. Money is victory points, and the only money you lose in this game is when you choose to pay your employees. To me, that has little to do with an economic game. How about you? I totally agree with what you said. I um, tried to break down what an, an economic game could be, and I came up with two categories. Okay. Wealth investment as category one, where money, the sole measure of victory, is continuously and potentially wholly reinvested in the game, possibly even into other players, to seek greater returns than you would get from hoarding your money. Not reinvesting is not a viable path to success. So games like 18xx games, Arkwright, Imperial, even Container to some degree. Okay, all right. And then there's wealth accumulation games, where money, the sole measure of victory, is accumulated as if they were victory points. You're going to spend money here and there during gameplay, but earned revenues are not largely at risk. Games like Food Chain Magnate, Indonesia, even to some degree container. I, I think that um, this is a business game, economic game, whatever. I'm, I'm calling this a wealth accumulation game. Uh, let's talk about the milestones. All right, so first off, is this a tech tree, someone asked. I say absolutely not. No. There's no path of upgrades that players can take. Yeah, no branches. Yeah, so we'll touch on Trees this. Trees have branches. Right, we'll touch on this a bit more when we talk about the employees. Um, they are definitely special abilities you acquire, and you can share them and stuff like that. Um, do you think they channel players towards specific strategies? I feel like channel seems to indicate like a distinct path, and I don't think I agree with that. They kind of guide a player into certain actions, but no more so than that. What do you think? Uh, I, don't, I don't think they provide a channel at all. Uh, I think they can benefit your play, obviously, but just because I get extra five bucks when I sell burgers doesn't mean I can actually sell any burgers. <laughs> it doesn't give you the ability to <laughs> right. sell better than I do. Right. Um, and so, you know, the game's always going to... It's going to be changing as you're playing. So channels are right. nebulous. And, right. And that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's too... There are too many branches right. on this for it to be a a, yeah. a given your, path. Your strategy is based on the board, not your milestones. You know, right. They're, they're going to help you. They so. will help, but they don't channel. Does the distribution of milestones in the first few turns decide the game? I say, if that were the case, why play the rest of the game? Right. Maybe with noobs. Maybe it seems that way, but it's just not that way. Yeah, they they may give a player or players a leg up in certain areas, but that just means that the other folks have to thwart, you know, what they're doing. 
and where they have the advantage. So uh, do the special abilities from the milestones have a similar feel to the gods in Great Zimbabwe? And do you enjoy earning them rather than choosing them? I can see that. Uh, I mean, in the end, they're rule breakers or they're, they're player powers, mm-hmm. you know, in some respects, or at least some of them are, which I enjoy in games where they're implemented well and, and they're implemented sure. well here. Um, and I always prefer earned over given, you know, kind yeah, of that yeah, feeling yeah. of accomplishment and all and that. TGZ, they're monotheistic, so you only get one. Any other thoughts on uh, Milestones from you? I feel like they're vital to the game and without them, there would be a much smaller decision space. Um, let me ask you a question. Really? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do feel like they're they're impactful in the game in, in a in a meaningful way. Let me ask you: Would you compare them a bit, like the private companies in an eighteen XX game, where they give enough variability to keep things changing game to game? I I definitely feel that I can draw parallels between a private company and these things because. In many 18xx games, private companies have powers, right? So, what did you mean by they provide a smaller? The game would have a smaller decision space without them. I feel like I'm going to flat out disagree. I, I feel like the game would be too linear. It would be, it, there would be less. What? Yeah, I feel like there would be less decisions to be made without milestones. There, there would. Let me, let me word it a different way. Everybody would go down a very similar path what? without the milestones. Absolutely, I think that's the case. Hmm. I, I, I feel like this, it doesn't force your hand, but it, it gives you reason to go off in different directions based on what milestones you have. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. That's kind of counter to what you said about them not channeling you. They give you options, but they don't force you into certain directions. So options don't... I, I just don't understand the, correlate, the corollary to the decision space because um, I'm, I'm interested in trying a game without the milestones. I think the game would be harder without them because in many ways they they're kind of represent something I don't always appreciate in heavier titles, these magical, mystical things like an extra five bucks on burgers or 50% more earnings or three free trainers. I, I don't mind them in this game. I, I don't see them as reducing their absence, reducing decision space. I, in fact, I think it's going to be harder for the players because you're not getting an extra five bucks. You're not getting three free trainers. Let, you let, better earn every step. You know me, what my milestone is? Victory points. Let me rephrase. Not reduce the decision space, but it varies. It get, it It broadens the decision space. That would be a better way to word it because I feel like well, that... We're going to have to disagree. Okay. All right. So let's talk about employees. How important is the simultaneous selection of employees that you put in your org chart every round? The game would break if these were revealed in turn order, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, AP Hell would happen from players later in turn order. and, And the players later in turn order would have a huge advantage. This also would remove the legitimate decision of where to be in turn order each turn. Less decisions equals worse game in this case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I totally agree. Uh, I do think this is the tech tree, though, the employees. uh, Partially. Part of them are a tech tree. Specifically, the executives, I feel like, are a tech tree. uh, Because they can upgrade into different paths. Sure. Some of the the techs are dead on. 
Right. It, it's Some just, of them are more narrow than others, that's all. Right, very linear, right. Is a bigger organization better than a smaller one? Nope. All depends on your strategy for the game and how players are playing and the board makeup. And we, we've yeah. seen in, in our games both be viable, mm-hmm. you know, it all depends on the game. You, you, can't, you can't dictate to the game. The game will dictate to you. The better organization is best. There you That's exactly it. Yeah, it just, between the game and the players, it's going to be to be determined. Let's rock into what we think makes the game fun for us. Why don't you start? Well, first off, theme is sweet and well implemented. The components are great. Every decision from pregame on matters. Totally agree. And some of those decisions are the pricing wars and the marketing wars because OMG, they can get ugly. Yeah, I had written down here that marketing can be marketing to help yourself as well as a weapon to hurt others. Absolutely. Which a vital weapon. Vital. If someone is has a monopoly on a couple of houses or something, and they're producing burgers like a champ or whatever, boom, you put some lemonade up in there. Yeah, oh, they don't have access to lemonade? You just you just crushed that at <laughs> least for two turns. Right. So and that's fantastic. I love that. The uh the org chart of the employees. I really, really like selecting what cards I want to be in there. Figuring out who I want to train up to what, and uh, and the deploying of them every turn. Talk about agonizing decisions on that. Not just who to hire, who to train, but who to who to put to work this turn is just. I delicious. always have this pressure of, I want to hire more than one. Oh, I need to hire a trainer, but I can't because <laughs> I really need to do this. Right, stay on target. <laughs> stay, on, stay on target. Oh man, I love the variable game length. By players seeding the bank for yeah. the second time. Is there any other game in your experience? Because there's not for me in which the players, you know, whether it's secretly or how, in some other form or fashion, yeah. will dictate how long they, based on what strategy they're going to try and employ pregame. I think that's, yeah, that's cool. at least to me, innovation. That, that's pretty innovative. And I'm curious if there is anything out there that I haven't seen. What's your favorite mechanic? Uh, in the game. Oh, oh one. Okay. In the, oh, boy. Uh, and I'm not talking about Bill down at the shop. <laughs> he is helpful, though. <laughs> My favorite... Uh, I don't... I, Too many? Yeah, it's... Here, let me share mine. Give you a, ch- a second. Maybe this is your favorite, too. I don't know. But, like, the distance calculation and all of the stuff that goes into that. So, like, who's going to buy? What house... Who's going to serve that house? How far you are away? How many waitresses you got? What's your pricing scheme? Do you have everything? Did you get screwed by some other house that fired off first? Ah, God, I I love it, man. I don't know if that's really a mechanic. I just, I love the the gotchas. Maybe it's not a distance calculation. It's the demand satisfaction mechanic or something. But totally totally agree. And there are so many. Simple. Effective. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's simple until you realize you're an absolute idiot because, oh, damn. damn it, I didn't factor in this. Yeah. And, oh, I didn't think he had any waitresses yet that, you know, to where I thought I could get away with just playing, getting away with not playing any because I was higher in turn order, so I didn't need to worry about. Damn it, I screwed that up again. <laughs> oh, wait, I forgot. 
I thought the marketing was going to fire. No, I'm an idiot because the marketing goes after dinner time, and I <laughs> knew that, but I totally just forgot. Because of that mechanic, we hear a lot of, oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> yep. And there's, yep. A lot, there's a lot of cussing at yourself as much as there is at well, other people. You just said, damn it, like eight times right. just in that explanation. Yeah. So that, just, that should give you some indication of, yeah. I love that I'm six plays in and I'm seeing so many new interlacing things. Like, there are still some employees that people have not used in any of our games. In every game, just about, I see new stuff. Well, not just about. I've seen new things, but I've seen employees used in different mm. ways. And it's just the amount of just ways this thing can go is just mind-blowing. It's, uh, it's kind of sandboxy. Kind of? <laughs> At, in, within that sandbox, the result of your decisions, matrix to the results of the decisions that the other players are making, are directly materialized in the game, man. This, this is the kind of stuff I'm seeking. I've always said I enjoy it when my path through the game must be altered by your path through the game. Yep. This is not multiplayer solitaire. I, you and I... Ever since Panamax came out, you and I have said that Panamax was the epitome of interaction in a Euro. Yeah. I think that's been eclipsed yeah. now. It's a different form of interaction here, but it's... Yeah, I can agree with that. I can get on board. So one night we were sitting around, and I think it was Paul, Chad, me, and Amanda, and it may have been you, and one of us, I think it was Chad, brought up that there are so few games with the decision headspace or decision <clears throat> matrix that is comparable to an 18xx game. But many of the splatter titles can be included in that, and this very much mm-hmm. is in that same air, rarefied air, is an 18xx in that respect. And uh, like that, it's a it can be unforgiving. Like like you said when you were given that example of you forgot, oh I didn't account for that, or or rather that you're going to market something to thwart another person's efforts. That's going to take them two turns to. Uh, resolve that problem for themselves it is unforgiving but it does offer the opportunity to change to change the directions and on that note i don't i have not noticed a runaway pro or runaway leader problem i've noticed a poor play has caused a runaway leader problem not the game it's the other players have played terribly which i am very much included in that yeah you've got no worries about Oh, I think this building is overpowered in, no, in, no, in no. this game. There's no runaway leaders no, created by that. No, just the players that. are under underpowered. That's right. So, uh, go ahead. There are so many viable opening moves. Like the first turn, do I want to hire a trainer? Because if I hire a trainer, then I'm going to be able to be the first one to train. If I'm the first one to train, that means I'm going to get the milestone that allows me to not have to pay my first three employees, which gives me a leg up on that. But then again, what if I do an errand boy and get drinks? Well, I'm not going to be able to market those drinks on the first turn, so I'm going to have to throw them away. Well, when I throw those away, I'm going to get a fridge, which then is going to allow me to store 10 goods in subsequent turns that no one else is going to be able to get so now i don't have to produce food as much and i can use those slots for other employees or do i hire a recruiting girl and then and get my org bigger faster right if you're going for a long right. game type idea there are or so many a management trainee so that oh man yeah yeah Just get him promoted exactly yeah. there's an odd timing element in this game 
It's it it isn't player timing. It's that resolution timing that we talked about, and and the factors that relate to that resolution are all public information. Like, they're they're right there in front of you. House number one is going to resolve first. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or better yet, radio campaign number one is going to resolve first. Oh crap. Yeah, I didn't plan on that beer getting marketed before right. this Coke did, and now I didn't get any beer, and now I'm in trouble. I mean, unexpected things can happen. Mitigated by paying attention, but yeah. The, but it, it's, a, it's a weird, cool timing. I really love the sequential execution of houses and marketing. To piggyback on top of that, you take a game like Craftsman, where you have to buy the building plans the turn before you can actually build the building. Just like in that, you have to market here the turn before the houses right. actually get the demand. Because it takes a minute you know, for, right. for marketing to work. People have to make up their minds. Right. And so once they're marketed to, the next turn is when they'll demand those things. They'll want those things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to train yourself... To realize, okay, I'm marketing, but that's not going to really matter until next turn. So I need to plan for that, but I need to take that into account as well. Just layers upon layers upon layers. There's so many paths in the game, and even a small deviation from a similar path. If you and I are going down similar paths, but we just deviate ever so slightly, can lead to drastically different ends. Which, again, decisions upon decisions... You know, big matrix. I'm a huge fan of that. We mentioned the whole drafting the board tiles pregame. I think that's a really, really fun variant. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I don't see a reason not to do that yeah, going we, forward. Yeah, we need to figure out how to do that for larger player counts. Yeah. And maybe um, it's a common pool. Like, I'll take that one. Right. I'll take that one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause pa- pass around the hand of tiles. I mean, there's a thousand ways to cut that. Drafting is always, almost always better than not drafting when it comes to that. So something Agreed. to think about. And just to kind of reiterate one last th- that we've touched on, that your opponents just force you to react. Mm-hmm. Someone monopolizing some houses, go market and screw them up. Or maybe throw some pricing managers in your structure and undercut them in price. Okay, let's say that's not your style. You're not going to be the cheap Burger King. Okay, fine. Open a new restaurant close or as close to him and hire more waitresses and beat him with better better service. So there are multiple options to try and thwart other players as well as help yourself. Lots of little levers, and they all factor into that odd timing element that we mentioned. All right, what about the other side of the coin? Anything in the game um, unfavorable? A few small... You know, okay. points. Okay, I have two. Um, it's a big old table hog. <laughs> it is a yeah. massive table hog. Really need like a card holder. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I said here that although we've de- devised a way to shrink down the amount of space needed, um, and some folks like I know Travis from over on Low Player Count, he made like a little, yeah, he did little uh, that flat thing with the slots. Yeah. You can do something like that mm-hmm. to save space. We stacked ours up like all of the drink people all in one. I want to make like stadium seating for yeah. cards. Yeah, I think that'd be an easy easy remedy for the for the table sprawl that this game does have. Yeah, um, I'm a little upset that there's no uh, chocolate malts in the game or chocolate malt meeples. I think that would be really cool, and uh, I, I demand an expansion. I I could see that. Sure, more resources. All right. Speaking of which, it's 
I guess you could say it's a bit fiddly with the resources. I really don't think it is, but nah. I suppose... Compared to Splatter titles? <laughs> I was going to say, compared to Indonesia... Or... It's almost like this game has no pieces. <laughs> um, and the two things, uh, component-wise, that, that I mentioned earlier, I'm irritated about the lack of a milestone player aid. You know, it's easily remedied, but that that's a pretty blatant overlook. And regardless of what yours and Yarun say, paper money sucks. Sorry, fellas. <laughs> it does. One thing that might turn off some people is that there is a definite experience level needed to play well. A lot's going to happen in the game where there's a lot of possibilities to grok, and the illusion of maybe a runaway leader can appear when players aren't well matched. I relate this kind of similar to 18xx in some ways. Not everybody is going to be geared to have this happen, but uh, give the game... Give the game some chances, guys. Uh, heavy gamers, I don't feel, are a problem with this. They understand that to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. You're going to get a little egg on yourself in the process of doing that. So Trial by fire. Yeah. Just understand it going in that you're not going to do so well the first few games. Say lovey. Before we wind this down, we got some other questions from the guild that people asked that we thought were, were quality questions. And we want to hit on these that we didn't hit on throughout the rest of the review. So first up, Tony, how does FCM rate in complexity to other splatter games, especially the Great Zimbabwe? How do you each personally rank the splatter games in complexity? And then if you were to revisit the same questions and substitute intensity for complexity, would any of the answers change? For the context of this answer, I'm going to consider complexity to be how the mechanics and the action of the players intermesh. Okay. In that case, I think that this is kind of the top of the splatter category, in my opinion, of that regard. Player interaction is the tipping point for me with that. Roads and Boats has a lot of planning, a lot of complexity maybe, but players are not always in direct contact, <laughs> you know, and, and not so at the beginning necessarily. So it's the human element that um, that adds the, the complexity that makes this at the top of the splatter chart if you ask me and um similarly for intensity that creates the intensity i went just straight rules complexity as far as uh level of complexity and i said just it's just not a hard game rules wise uh but the amount of possible uh, decisions and directions the game can go is so wide that i put it competing for the top spot in terms of depth as well as far as ranks in terms of complexity of the main six that I've played, I'd put them all very similar. And those are Antiquity, Bus, Food Chain, Indonesia, Roads and Boats, and Great Zimbabwe. Intensity-wise, though, I would drop Bus, Great Zimbabwe, and Roads and Boats below the other three being Antiquity, Food Chain, Magnet, and Indonesia. Assuming intensity equals stress level yeah. and just, just <laughs> intensity-wise. Do you feel like an expansion might come out? I'm sure that there's going to be fan expansions for restaurants. Chocolate malt. Hello. Well, oh, right. You said that and I was like, oh yeah, maybe that. But um, I, I, we have some ideas for for uh, custom restaurants that we're going to put out there. Uh, Paul, Chad, and I have come up with a few. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fan-made ones. But And I know there's some talk about, hey, maybe a six-player expansion. Whatever. I don't know that Oof. the game really needs any of that, yeah. to be honest. What game does this uh, does this game fire? If is there anything close to it that exists? Well, for me, I don't really feel like games fire other games. Yeah, I don't but subscribe to Jones Theory. They fire themselves, man. I'll buy it. I'll play it. I'll decide to keep it or ship it off. Um, 
that's really it. My, my, I keep my collection kind of trim. It's always changing. I, I'm not a hoarder. I am. So, um, <laughs> you know, hey, games fire themselves. I think that um, good designs are an art form. And um, so, like, if Futain Magnate goes into my collection, which it did, and Golden Ages goes out, which it did, there's no correlation. Right. Do you think there's anything similar to Futain Magnate? I, I thought about this. I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. But no, that's kind of a splatter hallmark. You look at Indonesia, mm-hmm. nothing like there. Yeah. You know, there's just not much out there like splatter games. What was the most memorable part of your favorite play of this game? I think in our two-player game, which was the most recent, having a plan coming into the game and actually seeing it play out successfully was was pretty gratifying. That said, I still made an immense amount of uh, mistakes along the way. I got to be honest. How yeah. about you? Uh, yeah, like in the first game, I did a marketing thing that hurt other players, and I was like, "Oh, light bulb yeah, moment!" Yeah, type yeah, yeah. So it's like how how marketing can change the game midstream. Were there any crucial decision points worth mentioning, or that you'll remember for a long time? Yes. Um, in our two-player game, I hired a luxury manager and subsequently fired her within a couple of turns and never, never used her. her. <laughs> it was a complete waste of time, you know, of my turns that could have been better used because uh, the game changed and I could not monopolize. I did not have the time or resources to focus on monopolizing a block that I intended to monopolize with her because of some other marketing crap that you pulled out. So moral of the story Every hire is important. You don't get mulligans. It costs something for you to repair your errors, so hopefully your opponents are going to make some errors too and give you a little time. And then that's what I was going to say is there's no catch-up mechanic in this. The catch-up mechanic is either your opponent's just making an error of their own volition or you causing them to make a mistake. That's the catch-up mechanic. As far as But there is know, a mustard mechanic. As far as crucial decision points, I got to be honest. There's just too many. Um, not not one single one stood out to me yet, but that doesn't mean there won't be. So this question I'm going to amend. Okay. At present, where would you rank FCM in your top five or six ranked economic games? So I'm going to amend it to say economic slash business games, wealth accumulation. Or no, I'm kidding. But yeah, in the in this genre of game, I. It's as good business game-wise as anything I've played so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I just... I, I'm trying to temper this with the... With, I'm trying to temper this because it's Cult of the New. You know, it's the most recent sure. game and all that. I don't know that there have been a ton of business wealth accumulation. This Indonesia container, all of them have been really, really good. Mm-hmm. You? It's in the highest tier. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think in terms of one and twos. After playing this game, when's the heavy cardboard restaurant going to open up, and what's your number one item on the menu? Well, the restaurant biz looks like awful hard work to me. I <laughs> I appreciate everyone in it, but I don't have it in me. But um, if I did, elephant steaks. <laughs> That's the featured item, baby. Uh, Not made from elephants, but just huge yeah, steaks. Elephant steaks. That makes me sad. <laughs> Davis is scurrying off down the hall. Ivory um, forks. 
I grew up in the restaurant industry, and if I didn't have a bad back, realistically, I'd probably be a chef. Um, so I love the idea of it, but no chance. Have you gone out for fast food since playing, and do you have an appreciation for franchise owners, managers, and employees on the front lines? Have not, and um, okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I do not eat fast food. I try not to. And um, like I said, I, I, I totally appreciate the hard work restaurant folks uh, put in. We were at an establishment today. Our waitress was running her butt off. Customers can suck. <laughs> the hours can be long and often in the wee hours. I am not wired for it. I fully appreciate and tip well. I grew up in the restaurant industry. I used to be a server. If I didn't have a bad back, I'd probably be a chef. So I appreciate the amount of work that goes into being in the restaurant industry already. Fast food, however, yeah, yeah, not my cup of tea. Having never played a splatter game, would this be appealing to an X 18xx gamer? Hardcore lifestyle, 18xx and train freaks? No, that's all they play. Um, but for those that like this kind of uh, an expansive game with a lot of room for uh, mistakes and, and awesomeness, then uh, yeah, I think they should be interested. Yeah, I see the similarities. Um, the decision matrix or decision tree or whatever is as vast as it is in an 18xx game, I feel like, or at least comparable. Mm -hmm. So if that's the appeal, just like what you said, yeah, I think so. This may well be a lot of people's first splatter, but what splatter title do you think is best as a my first splatter and why? Which would be worse? Blah, blah, blah. Tips on teaching. Uh, if they will attract folks, I think this would be fine. Um, I don't know that there are any kitty-friendly splatter games. Yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're just... All their games, for the most part, are relatively easy as far as rules. Great, um, This one has great production, as does Great, uh, great Zimbabwe. Uh, Food Chain has fun and well-integrated theme and tons of, tons of room for mistakes, like all great games should have. Uh, yeah, well, I, It's a business war game, so it might not be a good first one, depending on if the players can handle it. Roads and Boats was my first splatter. I think that's um, that could be a really good one. There's room to play without interference. Let people get familiar with the intricate yeah. logistics and the production tree. Then you can add on the interference. You know, it, it has weight, it has length, and all those things to, you know, go with that space of game. So to see if a person likes these titles. I well, now that I heard that, yeah, you make good point. Um, the other one that I, I I would throw in maybe is Great Zimbabwe, just because it's short. It's about an hour, 90-minute playtime. Um, so if that's an issue, I guess. But no, I like your roads and boats answer. Cool. Uh, did you guys use any kind of organizer for the cards instead of laying them all out? Yes, the table. <laughs> uh, we stacked different upgrades on top of one another, and we found that worked well. Um, you could always laminate the milestone player aids that everyone's going to print off and use a dry erase to make ones you've earned and, and cross off those that are unavailable. Um, as and that would help save room to remove the milestones from the table, so that's an option. But there are definitely going to be card racks and all this stuff people come up with, so keep an eye out for that. What is the most absolutely <laughs> vicious thing you've seen another player do in a game of FCM to slow down or cost another player the win? Well, there are two, both in our two-player game. Uh, first off, I knew Tony didn't have any price managers that reduce cost, and he didn't have any waitresses either to help him with the tiebreaker. 
So I just made sure to leave enough holes in my corporate structure to choose to go first for tiebreaker at dinner time. And I ended up completely shutting him out from selling to any house whatsoever since I had enough resources to cover all the house demands and basically started up a, a, an engine that just kind of ran away with things. Um, and the other brutal thing, really, it's it's such a simple thing, but just market something something yeah. that the player doesn't have access to. I think marketing is the absolutely most vicious thing, and it's not a specific instance because it's in every game. It's just market something that they have to react to. Thanks for your questions, guys. Okay, it's time to summarize our feelings on Food Chain Magnate. We're going to do this in two parts. Part one of each of our summaries will be addressing if the game lived up to its height. Part two will be where does FCM fit in your splatter lineup? Edward, go. I know I have to temper my thoughts on this as it's such cult of the new, but the amount of game that comes in this little box makes it tough. You know, I'm just going to sum it up like this. I fully expect this to be my most played game come this time next year of any game, period, fillers or otherwise. Did it live up to the hype? Honestly, it surpassed it for me. It was already my number one most anticipated game coming from Essen, and it's it really legitimately has exceeded everything that I hoped that it would be. After each of my first two plays, I dreamt about this game. <laughs> and apparently I wasn't alone. Matt also reported dreaming about this game. And so I started Googling this, and I found this thing called the Tetris Effect. The Tetris Effect is, and I have to read this, the Tetris Effect occurs when people devote so much time and attention to an activity that it begins to pattern their thoughts, mental images, and dreams. It takes its name from the video game Tetris. People who play Tetris for a prolonged amount of time may then find themselves thinking about the ways different shapes in the real world can fit together, such as boxes on a supermarket shelf, buildings on a street, hallucinating pieces being generated and falling into place in an in a invisible layout. This was me. When I wasn't, I would wake up from the dream and think about what I, oh my, I was having a full-on Tetris effect from this game, man. So did it live up to the hype? Well, yeah, you know, we were both pretty hyped about it when we were interviewing the splatter guys and that was not simply a case of being courteous to our guests we were genuinely genuinely excited about the game uh, i do find myself contemplating different openings and employees to utilize so the game has definitely made an impression on me plus the dreaming i think the game's got a lot of sandbox in it and people can get lost in there but to quote leonard skinner what some people call lost i call freedom this game does not box me in. If I get lost, it was because I did not play well, man. I didn't react to uh, player tactics efficiently enough. I said this about 18xx games, and I'm going to say it about this game too. It does have a current. As players build and market and produce, they're not just moving along the current. They're creating the current, man. And they're changing its speed, and they're changing its direction. Some players are going to get caught in whirlpools, get sucked under. Some players are going to build a raft. And ride that current, trying to steer that raft away and paddling to avoid the debris that's coming along in that current too. And with experience, the plays of this game can really, I think, develop into a flash flood. The current and its many variables will provide the considerable depth in this game. And we all know that even a little depth 
with swiftly swiftly moving water like this can topple you. So you better be prepared. So yes, hype lived up to. Solid candidate for 2016 Golden Elephant. So uh, where does this uh, fit in your splatter lineup, sir? All right, so I'm looking at mine behind me here, and I have five of the six main ones plus a couple of the lesser ones. And I'll be honest, man, there is no game that I've been more jonesing to play, even after playing this many times in a short amount of time, than this. I mean, not any mm-hmm. game. I'm not talking splat. I'm saying any game. Played it six times. I, I want to play it another 60, it feels like. Right on. So where would it be? It's going to be hard to put it above, you know, Antiquity and Roads and Boats in Indonesia. But i got to be honest, all three of those games, there's kind of a, ugh, that's a, that's a big setup. That's a big teardown. All that type thing in there. This doesn't have that for me. I'm just really excited to play it again. I'm not going to say it's number one. I will say that we'll revisit and see how things go in a few months. If the if the Jones Inn is still there, then yeah, it very well might be. But it's it's in the in the conversation as my favorite splatter. Okay. Uh, I definitely want to be careful about Cult of the New and um, be respectful of the many hours of enjoyment from Indonesia. Right. One of my all-time favorite games. Absolutely. Uh, I've only played six splatters, so in reverse order. Bus. One through six. Oh. Number 99, Bus. <laughs> Number five, Antiquity. Number four, Roads and Boats. Number three, Great Zimbabwe. Number two? Food chain. Indonesia. Really? Number one, Food Chain Magnate. Really? I, I'm dreaming about it. <laughs> I haven't dreamt about Indonesia. Fair enough. So uh, to me, that was the tipper. They're both uh, they're both right up there. Well, I I, I don't really do number ones. So, to be honest yeah. with you, I think depending on the mood I'm in, I could make a case for all the main five. So uh, rate this game. Our rating on a one to six scale. Yes, sir. One being it's not me, it's you. Six being Hall of Fame. It's got to be a six for me. Um, no game has me more excited for the next game after this many plays. Must play more FCM. I definitely think that uh, this has all the hallmarks of being a Hall of Fame game. It's really, really new, though. I'm still going to give it a six, though. It's a, just a no-brainer to buy it. Yeah, so if you dig our type of games, just get a copy. That is Food Chain Magnate. Okay, we had a few stray non-FCM questions in the guild to address, so uh, why don't we start with that? Let me ask you, sir. All right. I'm really excited to hear your answer on this one, actually. I'm curious what you think my answer will be I first. have no clue. I'm guessing Vlada Shavadal and um, Alan on. Moon. Go. Okay, what new collaboration of game designers would make you jump with joy? Personally, the author of the question writes, I would be extremely interested if... Vital Lacerda would pair up with Nuno Santiero and Paulo Celadade and maybe even Gil Diore. I'll be honest, that's hard to beat. That would it be, is. That that's would a, that's be a really, Portuguese dream team. I man. know, right? That would be really exciting. Um, so I thought about I could go 18xx. Right. I could go War Game. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot of these, but I decided on this. How about teaming up Francis Tresham and Martin Wallace? Okay. I think that'd be fun. 
There are so many different combinations that you could throw in here. Well, I came up with two. Oh, hold on. He said, which single? Well, Who are you, me? That's too bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> I couldn't decide. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg and the Splatter Boys. Eh, okay. All right. Wallace and Lacerda. That'd be one twisted economic game right there. That'd be cool. Would you say Nippon was one of the greatest games released at Essen or the greatest game released at Spiel? <laughs> yeah, haven't played. Yeah, we're still waiting yeah. on our copy. What's up? What's your game? Have you guys had a chance to play The Gallerist yet? I have a feeling it will have to be the topic of your next episode because, holy heck, it is a good one. Nope, not yet. Haven't got our copies yet. Nope. Sigh. Looking forward to it. I really want a good art-themed game, so... That and the production quality is just yeah. sick. If you guys had only 30 minutes to play a game, what would you pull off the shelf? And what would you pull off if you had 60 minutes? All right. I didn't know if this was like two-player or multiplayer, like you guys, yeah, meaning you and I. So I went a few different. Here and, we go. Yeah. 30 minutes, I would say some mix of Impulse, Battle Line, Arboretum, maybe SNCF or a ton depending on player count. Um, and if the player counts three to five and we have 30 minutes, I could see us doing a single uh, play of Neue Heimat. For 60 minutes, if it's the wife and I, maybe Castles of Burgundy, or if it's our group, 60 minutes? Yeah, that's a couple rounds of Neue Heimat. Uh, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't. I don't keep games in the bag like that. Yeah, you know, see, it's we, like, I don't either. I favor too many titles. Different ones have better times, counts, goals. Who's here? What are we in the mood for? What kind of mechanic? What's hot? Who brought a who bought a new game? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's I, I to answer this uh, while I was waiting on you to show up tonight. I came into the game room. I started looking around, going, "Yeah, I guess we could maybe. Yeah, maybe that. T- oh, that one over. Yeah. So it's." Yeah. Okay, let's uh, bring this one home. Remind everybody how to contact Heavy Cardboard. All right, our BGG Guild, number 2044. We just hit 500 people in our guild, which is fantastic. We would love to hit 1,000 soon. Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email, we love hearing from you folks. Contact at heavycardboard.com. And our website, heavycardboard.com. Last but not least, iTunes reviews. They've been lacking, people. Come on, let's get some. (laughs) Go leave them, please. Right on. Thanks again to Game Surplus for sponsoring Heavy Cardboard. Check them out, www.gamesurplus.com. Tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Be on the lookout for some Essen titles. And last but not least, just a reminder about the contest that we're having. Thanks to the folks over at Cardboard Congregation. Head to our website, heavycardboard.com forward slash contest. And we will announce the winner next episode. So the link is only going to be up for a short amount of time. All right. All right. So uh, Food Chain Magnate. Yeah. That's a early favorite, or at least in the conversation, for Golden Elephant you 2015. You bet. Uh, we'll catch you all in a couple weeks. We'll be recording the day before I head to BGG Con. And we're thinking ships as a feature review, maybe. Woohoo. So to be determined we'll catch y'all uh in two weeks so be safe out there and uh catch y'all soon see ya